as we turn to the book of Genesis. So our reading comes from Genesis chapter 37, verses 3 through 11. Hear the word of the Lord. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons, because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors, but when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And he said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, the eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. This is the word of the Lord. Well, again, good morning and uh, welcome to the Elitha campus. My name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, some of you are like, if you've been here, here a while, like, Genesis, I thought we were in Matthew. Well, we did make a shift uh, last week into a new series. We're talking about vices and virtues and the way that these things uh, overtake us. So we're going to be in a variety of places, Old and New Testaments, um, throughout each of these weeks. And, uh, and it's, it's going to hurt. I'm not going to lie to you. So uh, it hurts me. So let me, let me pray and then we'll jump into our first vice for today. Let me pray. God, I'm so grateful um, that you have spoken in your word, telling us how best to live, how to flourish, how to know and experience the life we were created for. And so God, I pray that we would see that this morning, that your spirit would root these things deep in us, that we would come to hate uh, the vices, the habits that destroy us, and that we would come to love and pursue the good things that you have for us. And that we would do all of this um, through your power, not our own, and through what you've accomplished for us on the cross. We depend on you for that, Lord Jesus, in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I am certainly no stranger to the vices. In fact, I'm pretty sure most of us uh, are probably experts on, on a few of them. And, and I, you know, I can remember ever, really ever since I um, decided to take Jesus seriously, it's been about 20 years now for me, um, that I've been fighting against the sort of the classical vices, right? These seven deadly sins that we're talking about over these next several weeks. I mean, things like, you know, sloth and, and anger and greed and lust and vainglory and, and, and the, all of these, like I, I see them in my life and I, I've been trying to, to dig them out by the roots for, you know, 20 years. Except envy, really. I mean, envy, as I like read this list, and we'll show you the list here in a second if you don't remember it from last week, that's understandable. But, you know, envy is like, I mean, I, I just never thought I was an envious person. Like, that's just not part of, of my personality. I was, I was convinced of that because, you know, envy is so quiet. It's so subtle. It just kind of runs beneath the surface. In fact, according to Joseph Epstein, of all the deadly sins... Only envy is no fun at all. 
and like think about that. Like every, all the rest of them, it's like, yeah, I mean, at least there's some kickback you get from it. But envy is just awful, right? Like of all of them, like you don't have to be a Christian. Like you know, right? Envy will destroy you. All, all of us know, yeah, don't, don't do that. If there's anything on this list that we all agree we should avoid, it's, it's this one. There's no fun hidden in it anywhere. It's awful. But I think because of that, it makes it really, really hard to detect. The, the rest of them we can do sort of visibly, and we almost celebrate them culturally. Uh, but this one, we keep hidden under the surface. And so for me, it was maybe two or three years ago, I was sitting at my desk early in the morning, drinking my cup of coffee, praying and reading my Bible. That's, that's how I begin my, my day here. Um, so any other day, just like any other day, and, and I don't even know, I don't remember what brought it up or, or what situation or, or whatever it was, but for some reason that particular morning, I remember so clearly, it was like God held up a mirror and I saw my envy for the very first time. And it was ugly deep-rooted in, in ways I'd never even before noticed. Like, I was envious of other people's possessions and opportunities. I was envious of other people's talents and, and people who just seemed to have life better or easier, right? I was envious of other pastors, which just sounds awful, right? Man, why is he smarter than me or more creative or funnier or a better preacher? Why is their church bigger or hipper or whatever, right? And you see, envy... Envy isn't just wanting something another person has. I mean, that's, that's bad enough, and we'll distinguish what that is in a moment. But envy is like, envy is when you're kind of like ticked off that they have it, right? Have you seen it in you? I mean, if I told you that your closest friend of the office just got promoted over you, what would that do? Or maybe you look at your siblings like, why does, why does your brother always get a bigger slice of cake, right? Or maybe you're grown, but it's still siblings. Why does she, why does your sister and her family, why do they always go on such great vacations, right? And while we're on it, why is she prettier than you, right? Or, I mean, if you don't think you struggle with envy, like what, what goes on in your heart if you have kids and you see your child be passed over for something and it's given to some other kid, that nasty little brat, you know, Right? <laughs> It's, it's in here, isn't it? And again, if you, don't, if you don't think it's there, like, I dare you, just go on Facebook for a minute and see if envy doesn't start to creep in. And so there, there I was a couple years ago sitting at my desk, and I, I glimpsed into my, into my heart. I saw it, and I was like, I want those things. And if I'm honest, I kind of maybe just sort of a little bit hate the person who has it instead of me. Just, just a little bit, right? And that's the thing about envy. Small, subtle, it's so everyday. But here's what we're going to see this morning. Envy is the death of love. Envy is the death of love. And I can see it in some of your faces. Some of you are like, come on, Nathan, stop exaggerating, right? Just, that's what you kind of expect from me, but I'm not. Envy is the death of love. And so, so last week, yes, we began this, this new series on the vices and virtues, uh, the seven deadly sins and their, their corresponding virtues. And, and the fact that since around 590 AD, these seven sins, the, the deadly ones, right, have been have categorized in that, that way. So you see the, 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 the vices on the left and the, 
the, the virtues on the right. These are the things that we're going to be walking through together over the next seven weeks. And, and again, I don't know if you hear last week, but you, like for at least some of us, you read that list and you think, deadly sins? What? Like, what is wrong with you Christians? Like, half of us did half of them before breakfast, right? <laughs> on, your, on your way to church this morning, it's like, yeah, check that one off, that one. It's like, I mean, they're so normal. Except they aren't. And this is so important for us to remember throughout this series. These are not the worst things you can do. Like, you know that. Like, there are things way worse than these. But these are the slow, subtle, hidden habits that creep in and eventually destroy us. That's, that's why they're called the deadly sins. They're, they're the small little hidden things. They're nothing. It's like smoking, right? It's like big, big deal, except that it will kill you, right? That's what these are. They blind us, bind us, and trample us. Anger, for example, right? So, so I'm a little angry from time to time. But do you see who you're becoming with your anger? You're becoming an angry person, angry at the people, pushing away the people around you. You're becoming angry with yourself, angry with God. And even just as a test, like if you think you don't struggle with these, then just stop for a week. Like pick one. Like stop lusting. Stop it, right? Stop, uh, stop, um, you know, I don't know. Stop yelling at your kids. You've tried that, haven't you? Stop it. Like, if you think you're still in control in these areas, then just stop. And you'll quickly see in the attempt how little control we have. They take over. They destroy. It's not so easy, is it? And envy is the same, except that with envy, we all agree that it's just messy and awful, right? And yet we don't see where it starts. We often don't see where it's headed. And we're quick to dismiss it. We don't really believe that envy is the death of love. But it is. In it, you lose your ability to, to love others because there's always somebody somewhere who has something more than you. And so if you're becoming envious, somebody, somebody somewhere, right, everybody has some better opportunity or some better ability or, or whatever than you. So it pushes people away. Uh, it, you lose your ability to care and know yourself because you're always comparing and it crushes your own identity. And ultimately, you lose your ability to love God because how dare he give that opportunity or that talent or that thing to them instead of to me? And it will kill you. If you don't believe me, turn to Genesis 37. Genesis 37. I mean, right at the beginning of our, of our Bibles, right? Envy is as old as sin itself. It's as old as broken humanity. And we see it right away here in this, this story of Joseph and, you know, his technicolor dream coat, right? Let's begin with verse 3. We've, we've heard some of these words read, but let's, let's read it again. Now, Israel, this is a person, not a nation at this point. That's how far back we are historically. Okay, so this is the dad, Jacob, Israel, two names. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. So here's, here's the first thing we see about envy. Envy begins with comparison. Envy begins with comparison, which is part of the reason it feels so innocent, right? Like, who cares? We're always comparing, 
all the time with everyone, with what they have and who they are all the time. And so, and so Joseph's brothers saw that their father loved him more. They made a simple, simple observation, a nice little comparison. That's where it began. Now, as we talk about envy, there's, there's three words that we often confuse. We, we use them interchangeably, but they're not, they're not really the same thing. We, we sometimes use them synonymously, uh, but it's important for us to distinguish, right? The three words are, are jealousy, covetousness, and envy, okay? Let me just quickly explain what each of them are so we kind of can figure out what envy is, how it's different. Jealousy, essentially, uh, that's protecting something that's, that's already yours. Uh, and it's not always a sin, right? Um, and, and so, it, it, but it often kind of builds to an over-realized sense of ownership, like this is mine right? And you can't have it, don't break it, like it's mine. That's, that's jealousy. Covetousness, which made it into the Ten Commandments, that's wanting something in an unhealthy way that doesn't belong to you. It's something, you see that thing, I want that thing. Envy, okay, it's similar to both of these, but envy takes it one step further. Envy is like, not only do I want what you have, I kind of hate you for having it. In, in fact, in fact, I would I would be okay with not having it just as long as you didn't have it either, right? That's, that's, that's envy. In fact, it's been said that envy is feeling bitter when others have it better. That's the simplest definition, right? Envy is feeling bitter when others have it better. And in fact, Victor Hugo, he has a poem um, about envy and, and anger and uh, writes, I'm not going to read it to you, I'll just kind of sum up. Um, Poetry is hard for me. Um, but let me kind of sum up what he, what he says here in this poem. Basically, he gives a, a scenario poetically. Like, let's just say I, me, could give you anything you, you asked for. Anything. Pretty cool, right? Anything you want in the world and I can give you under one condition. Your rival, like whoever it is that you compare yourself most to, the one that you're most likely to envy, like picture them, you know them, right? The one, the one that you get a little bit edgy when they have something a little bit more... Your rival gets double of whatever I give you. I'll give you anything, but they're going to get twice as much. What do you want me to give you? Well, according to the poem, the envious person says, I want to be blind in one eye. <laughs> I mean, it's funny, except it's not. Because that's, that's what envy is. And I, and I know, like, you hear that, it's like, well, man, that's so extreme. That's not me. I wouldn't want that. Of course not. But it begins with simple comparison. And listen, there's a sense in which Joseph's brothers are right. This is bad parenting, right? I mean, they are justified to think, you know what, Dad? You shouldn't treat us like this. And often, oftentimes, our envy is rooted in things that we, we're justified in feeling. Like, there are things that are just not fair in our lives and in our world. But that doesn't excuse what goes on in the heart. And when we compare, I mean, this is so important as we think about envy as well. Like when we compare, we don't typically envy those who are way more talented than us. Or way richer, right? Or way whatever. No, it's not them, right? Like I like baseball. I don't envy Eric Hosmer. Like he's in a different category. Like it's just, it's out there. It's so far away from me. Who we envy are those who are just, just a bit above us. That's why you see it so clearly with Joseph and his brothers, right? It takes over family so quickly, right? Because they're right there and you see each other and it's, it's the people closest to us. Like, like for me, for example, like I'm, not, I'm not tempted to, to envy the, you know, the celebrity preacher or the mega church pastor. I mean, those guys, they're in a different category all their own. It's my colleagues. 
that I'm tempted to envy. It's the pastors who are in similar situations as me that I look at like, well, why are they like, why, why God, right? I mean, even think about it, like, you probably don't envy the mansion owner. I envy my neighbors or the neighborhood next door. That's, that's where our envy goes. We don't envy the people up here. It's the ones who are here and you're feeling right here, right? It's whose kids are, they're right here and your kids are right there, right? Just a little bit better. And it's why it destroys families or friendships. It's, it's why it can wreak havocs in departments at work or in your neighborhood on the, on the sports team. It's the people closest to us that envy tends to destroy and I'm not, I'm not saying you're guilty of this. I mean, you are, um, <laughs> but I wouldn't say it. But, but before we go any further, I mean, this is the diagnostic, diagnosis part, right? Where, where are you most likely to compare? Who? Who is it? What is it? In, in them, or, or like, it's, it's often a combination, right? It's that, it's that person or those couple of people, and it's those things. What, what is it in your life that you're quickly going to? Who, who are your biggest rivals? You know, one, this is one of, the, one of the biggest dangers, I think, of, of social media. And I'm not, I'm not down on social media. Um, I think it's of the devil, but I'm not down on it. Um, but I mean, seriously, though, the, we, we humans, we've invented all kinds of ways to deal with these, like to, to invest in these seven deadly sins. There's nothing new under the sun. We find new ways of, of doing them all the time, right? But there is something, like you have to admit, there is something unique. There, like social media is a breeding ground for two of them, vainglory and envy. Because vainglory, that's the, that's the search for applause. Like, look at me, I'm great. Like all of our awesome posts. And then when you see the awesome posts of somebody else, like, man, my life is terrible, right? And you envy. <laughs> that, that's, that's what we do. And so, I mean, vain, vainglory is that the desire to, to show off the very best of who we are. Which, man, that's, that's what we do. And then when you see the very best of who everybody else is and you compare that to your normal existence, you feel envy. I mean, this is why there are studies that show the more time you spend on social media, the less happy you are. Like actual studies have been done. And I'm not saying we abandon it. I mean, it can be a very helpful tool, so don't, please don't hear that. But you have to know where are those places that you're most likely to enter into this comparison game. Um, it's, it's not neutral. Any, any place, whether it's online or in certain relationships or contexts, that you feel envy coming up or, or even just that, that desire to compare and contrast, run before it's too late because it won't stop there. Envy begins with comparison, but it's also rooted in our identity. And I think this is why it makes the, the, the list of the seven deadly sins. It's not just about that thing. It's about who I am or who I think I am. Envy is always personal because it's not about the thing you're envious of. It's about our own fragile sense of self. Like there's something out there that gives me a sense of meaning, of well-being, that I'm somehow less of a human, right? Because that person has what I want and I don't have it. This comes out a little bit in this, this story, right? G Genesis, again, let me read it starting with verse 5. Now Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to mine. And his brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? 
Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. All right, first of all, Joseph, take it down a notch, right? Like, I don't even care, and I kind of want to punch him in the face, right? I mean, he sort of has it coming, and and yet, I mean, this this reveals, this is so much more about this awesome coat, right? It's it's so much more about the perception of who loves who most. It's, It's bigger than that. His very presence makes his brothers feel small. And think about it culturally, like, in that context, a dream was a really big deal, often considered to be prophetic, so you've got that going for you. Second of all, it's a patriarchal society. Like Joseph is at the bottom of the totem pole, right? That's, it, power should first go to the oldest brother and then the second oldest and the third oldest. And here's Joseph saying, actually, you know what? I'm going to rule, right? So this, this threatens everything about who they think they are, who, who their culture says that they are. Like everything, everything is up for grabs in this, in this story. Little brother, are you really going to rule over us? The very thought is just too much to bear. And you see, our, our comparisons are places of envy. I mean, they reveal so much about us, don't they? I mean, it shows us where our idols are, doesn't it? Where, where we get our own sense of self, self-worth and meaning in life. I mean, that's why they're always so personal. I mean, for example, for me, like if I'm envious of other pastors, it's because, it's because too much of my identity is wrapped up into this work that I do, right? And if I'm honest, I'm sometimes more concerned with my glory than with God's. And that's true for for every one of these things. Like where you find envy rising up, you feel threatened. And so if if you're envious of the person who's just a little prettier than you, it's because too much of your self-worth is in your appearance. If if it's in success or your your ability to to buy nice things or, or your kids and your kids' performance, we put so much of our envy there, don't we? It reveals what's what's really controlling your heart, who your functional God is. And because it's so often rooted in our damaged sense of self and our insecurities, envy often reveals itself in very passive-aggressive ways, doesn't it? I mean, there's a lot written about this. Like, you feel threatened by this person. That's why you're envious of them. And so you can't attack them outright. You have to do it in subtle, sort of sneaky, slippery, thousand little tiny ways to stab them in the back. And so for some of you, maybe it looks like celebrating when something bad happens for them where you quietly spread rumors, you respond sarcastically, or just assume the very worst about them. You attribute their success to things that bring them low. I mean, even, even the brothers, right, said at the start, the first step for them was they couldn't speak peacefully to him anymore. It didn't start with them selling them into slavery, right? Passive aggression. And it alienates you further and further. I mean, we're drawn into envy because we want to compensate for our own insecurities and our, and our fears, the, the, the ways that which makes, makes us feel. But instead of bringing us up, it only pushes us further down. Further and further and further. In our own wounded, wounded perspective of ourselves. But it doesn't stop there. One more before we get to the good news. Sorry about that. Third thing is that envy always takes you where you don't want to go. I mean, it's like jumping on a train, and it's so easy to do, right? We just, we kind of ride that train, we think it's fine, and then you realize, man, where is this, where is this sin, this habit, this envy, where is it taking me? I can tell you this, you don't want to go there. Maybe not as far as the brothers, but the trajectory of our envy, if left untreated, it will take everything. Everything. 
And so one day, alone, out in the fields, here comes Joseph, that dreamer. Verse 18, they saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now. Let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we'll say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what becomes of his dreams. It's just dripping with envy, isn't it? And so they rip off his colorful robe. They throw him in the pit, and they decide not to murder him. They have second thoughts. Right? That'd just be mean, I guess. So let's just sell him into slavery instead. I guess that's better. And in so doing, all of them are ruined. Envy is, is the death of love. For envy, it destroys our relationships. It sours our self-understanding, and it makes us angry towards God. How dare you, God? Rebecca DeYoung, in her great book on the vices, I'd highly recommend it to you. Um, she writes, The envious reject God's love, hate others, and condemn themselves to a hell of their own making already on earth. And I get it. Like some of you right now are thinking, yeah, but I would never do that. I'm not going to sell that person into slavery, right? I'm not going to contemplate murder. Maybe you're, maybe you're right. But do you see where your envy is taking you? Do you see the kind of person you're becoming? Both with your own sense of, like you're just never going to be satisfied with yourself. Or, or the circumstances you find yourself in, but even the way it's pushing everyone, potentially everyone, away from you. You don't want to go there. These slow and subtle habits that destroy. And if you're not actively fighting it, and this is true with all these vices, if you're not actively fighting against it, you're beginning to succumb to it. There's no, there's no middle ground here. Like, we have to run after these virtues, or the vices will catch up and trample us. This is the trajectory of my heart and yours if we're not fighting against it. Do you see your envy? Where is it? Who's it directed towards? What fuels it? When do you feel it most? And what are you going to do about it? Well, like all the vices, envy can be killed. But I assure you, it's not going to be easy. For envy can only be killed with kindness. Envy can only be killed with kindness. That's the fourth thing here. And, and I know, like I even wrote that, and I was like, man, that sounds so trite. Just be nice. We can all just, you know, be fine. That's not what I mean. This is not talking about, about simple behavior modification or trying super hard to get better. This isn't about a few good deeds. This is about character formation, growing in virtue, becoming this new kind of person. So skip ahead in this story. In fact, we're going we're to skip 13 chapters in 40 years. Go to Genesis 50. So, so Joseph was, was 17 when all of this came down upon his life, right? When he was sold into slavery. Now, now in chapter 50, he's, he's 56 years old. 40 years have passed. And if you don't know the story, like in the middle there, we're going to, you know, we're skipping over all of it. Like he was a slave. He was forgotten. He was falsely accused. He was thrown into prison. He was forgotten. He was a nobody. I mean, a terrible, terrible first half of his life, to say the least. But, but eventually, he ends up like uh, interpreting some dreams for, for Pharaoh in Egypt and gets promoted up to, to number two in the land. 
like from, from nothing to all the way to number two. And he ends up like coming up with this plan to, to rescue Egypt from famine or rescue God's people. He, he sees it coming because of, of a, a dream that God gives him. And so a day comes in this story when Joseph's brothers, they do show up in Egypt. They don't, they don't know anything about where Joseph has been, what he's doing. They expect that he's either dead or long gone. But there, there they are bowing before him, asking for food. Joseph gives them food. And, and by, by doing so, he rescues the, the people of God. I mean, it's a crazy story, isn't it? And, and as the story progresses, eventually they, they find out, oh, you're Joseph, right? You're the, our little brother. Um, yeah. Uh, whoops, right? I mean, they, 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 they come acquainted with, with each other and what's going on. And, and now then in chapter 50, I know if we just, you know, skipped a lot of years there. But in chapter 50, their dad just died. And the brothers, think about this, 40 years later and their envy still haunts them, their guilt and their shame still causes them terror and pain because they just assume, okay, dad's gone, Joseph's going to kill us. He's finally going to exact his revenge. But Joseph has also had 40 years. 40 years, he's not, he's not that cocky kid anymore. He's learned forgiveness, love, kindness, not in an instant, but over decades. And in his response to his brothers, we get a glimpse of what it's going to take us. Again, it's not going to be easy. Let me, let me read chapter 50, beginning with verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. Think about the options that Joseph had there in that moment. I kind of want to, kind of almost wish it had gone another way. It'd be so exciting. But listen to what happens. It's, it's unbelievable. It's absolutely amazing. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Amazing, isn't it? There's a lot in those verses that we could talk about, but there are two things in particular for us here. If we're going to kill our envy with kindness, two, two things, so important. First, first, it has to begin by embracing God's kindness toward us as enough. Like if you want to move past envy, if you want it to put it to death, you have to embrace that, that God has already been kind enough to you, that what he's given you is enough. You cannot be kind on your own, not in a way that kills envy, and think about it, like they meant it for harm. And think about, think about the terrible first half of Joseph's life, but God meant it for good. Imagine how painful it would be for, for Joseph to be able to speak those words and believe them. God meant it, you meant it for harm, but God meant it for good. And Joseph even says, do not fear for I, for am I in the place of God? We're not God, people. God decides who gets what. 
Which really means, if you think about it, that your envy problem, it's not really with them anyway. Like ultimately, your envy problem is with him, right? And you think he's been unfair to you. That he somehow has left you hanging or, or skipped, skipped out on the round of whatever blessing that everybody else seems to have, right? Has he really been unfair to you? Or will we trust him enough to let him decide who gets what? I mean, here, here's a, a next step. It's a simple next step in the sense that it's easy to engage in immediately, um, but it's nothing, there's nothing simple or easy about it. Um, if we want to be practical, here's the next step. You, you've got to find ways, if you, want to, if you want to embrace God's kindness towards you as enough, you've got to find ways to cultivate gratitude and contentment in your life. You have to be able to learn ways to look out and see all that God has given you. No, you don't have the same as so-and-so, right? That's not how the world works, not, not in a broken world like ours, but has he given you enough? I mean, tonight, I mean, here, here's, where, here's where we can immediately do it. End your day tonight by just simply praying and thanking God for what he's given you, especially in the areas in which you're most likely to feel this pinch. Say, God, thank you, it's enough. And then, and then tomorrow morning, when you get up, do it again. No, that's not going to fix it. But talk to me in a thousand days and see if God hasn't done something to melt our envious hearts. We practice these things over and over and over again. We replace these old habits with new ones that give us life and fill us. No, there are no quick fixes. But over time, over time, God can melt our envious hearts. And second, then, if you want to kill your envy, and this, is, this is even harder. Um, if you thought that one was hard. You have to extend God's kindness then towards others. Like, you can't just, like, bask in it for yourself and think, oh, God, you've been so good. Thank you. Like, it starts there. You've got to have that work done in you. But you also have to then give that kindness away, even when you don't feel like it. Even when it's really, really painful to do. Verse, verse 21, right? Joseph says, so do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and, and spoke kindly to him. And again, this is where the hard work comes in because you see the envy, right? Man, I, I think we, we all do. We, we see the places that lives in your heart, the place that you compare. Picture your rivals right now. Jerks, aren't they? Here's another next step. This week, pass along the kindness you've received and pass it along to them. Yeah, them. Find a way to encourage them. Write them a note. Do something behind the scenes that makes them look better. Compliment them in front of others. Serve them. Nathan, have you lost your mind? Maybe. But it's better than losing my soul. And if envy really is the death of love, then what choice do we have? We have to run after these things with, with all that we are, all that we have. We, we, there's too much, too much at stake for us. And Peter, Peter said last week, right, practice these things. And practice does not make perfect. But practice does make virtue over and over and over again. Not, maybe not the hundredth time, maybe not the thousandth time, but maybe by the five thousandth time, right? You become a kind of person who actually chooses kindness over envy, who actually chooses by second nature love over hate. 
And don't you want that? I mean, we all know it's healthier. We hear it and we think, well, we know that's a better life, right? We know the way we push others away and the way it, it drives us deeper into ourselves and pain. We know that. And just imagine the kind of community we could be. Imagine if the church did this. Imagine just even the relationships in here, instead of like trying to impress one another, you know, we have to look a certain way, act a certain way, say certain things. We could actually truly get into each other's lives and push each other more towards Christ's likeness. We don't, we don't have to hide so much. Imagine the kind of, of sacrificial love and generosity that can flow out of us if we were able to kill our envy. Yes, envy can only be killed with kindness. This is the last thing I'll say. It's so important. Ultimately, ultimately, only God's kindness can put it to death. And that doesn't minimize the need to cultivate gratitude. It doesn't minimize our ways in which we push that kindness out of us. But this is our ultimate hope. God hasn't just been nice to you. Kindness was killed for you on the cross. That Jesus took upon himself all of, our, all of our envy, all of our sin and shame, every bit of guilt, and he offers us in its place his love, his, his ability, his power to actually live this kind of life. That he, he came and he died and he rose again. And if this is true, whenever envy rears its ugly head, I mean, yeah, maybe she is prettier or smarter. There's more successful, better health, better family, better whatever, right? But friends, has God really given you less? Has he not given you in Christ everything that you need? Forgiveness, hope, life, the opportunity for real joy, power to change, and and a new identity that isn't so fragile anymore. I mean, if so much of this is rooted in who we think we are, like if you're with Christ, if you're with Jesus, that means you are a son or daughter of the king of everything. Like who are you left comparing yourself to? We've been given all that we need. And everything we now lack, you and I. I mean, in comparison, it's negligible, isn't it? Envy is the death of love. But it doesn't have to be the death of you. Let his death make it right. And let us, his people, practice kindness together. Let's pray. God, we cannot do this on our own. Give us the strength, give us the humility, give us the conviction to see these things and to love the people around us as you love them. Amen. Well, it's good to be with you all this morning. Um, we're glad that you were with us. And, and these, are, these are not easy words. As we, as we scratch beneath the surface to see that, that what plagues us is not just these, these symptoms we see on the, uh, the above service, but, but envy is this deep-rooted habit within all of us that, that truly does destroy love, destroys relationships. It, it eliminates gratitude and appreciation, but, but the good news is that the kindness that we've received through Christ is, is not only that which eliminates this envy and the, and the consequence of it, but it is, it is the remedy to this vice that destroys us. And so as, as we leave this place reflecting in, in more detail on, on this envy that is in all of us and the kindness needed to combat it. Uh, our good word for the road, our benediction, comes from uh, Colossians chapter 3 where the Apostle Paul so beautifully ties our life of kindness uh, tied to the kindness we receive through Christ Jesus. So hear these words uh, for our good word as we leave this place. 
Brothers and sisters, put on, therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts and kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Amen. Go in peace.